The Coonhound Collective Podcast is brought to you by CZ Welding and Custom Dog Boxes. Dog boxes built by hunters for hunters. Check these guys out today. This is your host, Jason Snurgrove, and I will be your guide as we journey down the road to pleasure hunt or hitting the long trail to those great cop hunts. This is the Coonhound Collective <laughs> Mr. Peterson is a pretty busy guy, and you'll notice a audio change in this audio about eight or ten minute mark right after an ad uh we were trying to get this done while he was driving and didn't work out we lost service and we picked it back up the next day and so that's the reason for the uh, audio change and also i just want to publicly thank mr peterson for taking the time to come on the podcast and and share his life adventures with us as he uh grew up and Wyoming and and kind of moved around to play this part and uh, I, I just really appreciate him taking the time he, he is a super busy guy he uh he stays out there and, and works and outfits and stuff like that so if you're looking for an outfit a uh, trip out of Wyoming check out Crooked Sky Outfitters I'll try to leave a link in the description box below uh, go out there and and support this guy he's his his acting career impacted my life as a coon hunter, as I'm sure it has other people. So check them out, Crooked Sky Outfitters. Welcome to the Coonhound Collective podcast this week. This week I have a very special guest that has probably impacted all of our lives that have anything to do with coon hunting in some kind of way. Uh, we're going to be interviewing Mr. Stuart Peterson. And you may not know that name, you may not recognize that name, but just stay tuned. Uh, I promise that you are going to know who Stuart Peterson is once we get into this. And I am uh, excited to, to have him on the podcast, and we're going to get him on the phone here. Stand by. Thank you for joining us today on the Coonhound Collective Podcast. Today I am joined by Mr. Stuart Peterson. Mr. Peterson, how's it going today? Well, it's been a long, warm summer and a hot day. I guess we uh, we're, uh, we finally figured out that, yeah, the temperature sets. It's uh, summer, but up in this country, you never know. Yeah, yeah, so, it's, it's been hot and dry here uh, in Missouri as well, um, for sure. Uh, won't you go ahead and tell us a, a little bit about yourself, kind of where you're from and where you grew up at? Well, I grew up in a little ranching community uh, in southwestern Wyoming called Cokeville. And uh, I was raised on a cattle ranch there. Um, that's, that was what I knew growing up, uh, you know, chasing cows, uh, putting up hay, changing sprinklers. And uh, I, growing up in my, all from the time I went and started going to school, I was involved, heavily involved in athletics. Always loved football and later on started wrestling in, high, in junior high and right in high school. Um, did all the things that a normal kid did, being raised on a on a ranch, and, and kind of we lived out of town about seven miles until I was about a freshman in high school, and then we uh, we moved into town, and that kind of changed some of the things I did. I still find myself wandering the, the back uh, away from town 
squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting, uh, eventually getting further away from home for the deer, elk, and uh, a little bit of antelope hunting, but mostly deer and elk. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's, 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 that's a, in a nutshell, kind of where I come from and what I grew up doing. Okay, so um, this is a coon hunting podcast, and, and the reason why I reached out to you, so, some people probably don't recognize the name Stuart Peterson uh, that's in that's in my audience, um, but uh, whether they know it or not, you you your role uh, has probably impacted many coon hunters' lives uh, out there that that's gotten people into coon hunting, and I'm I'm gonna let you just uh, tell us how that come about and the name that people would recognize uh, that you were that you were known for uh, of a movie that took place. So why don't you go ahead and tell us how you got into okay. acting, what that movie was, and okay. what your character was. Well, for one thing, uh, the way I got into acting was just, a, to me, kind of still kind of a fluke, and yet, to me, somewhat of a, uh, a hand of, of God above that would say, you know, I've got to, got to help this kid out. He's going to have to have some experiences that will help him in his life. And, and, uh, so at the age of 13, uh, my uncle was coming through town and uh, it, it was noised a little bit about in our community that he's going to be making a film based on the book where the red fern grows. Well, one afternoon, early evening, he was on his way home from meeting with Wilson Rawls, the author of the book. He was passing through Cokeville, and as such, he said, uh, maybe I better start looking for a, a lead boy to, to be in this film. And uh, because I guess somehow he'd inquired from a, one of the our, our fourth grade teacher there in Cokeville uh, who she might could suggest, and uh, she suggested a, a young man that was living there, and uh, he was a friend of mine, and so he invited him over to meet him at my grandmother's house there in, or in other words, his mother's house there in Copeville. I happened to be in town that, that afternoon, early evening, and uh, I didn't think too much about it. I was just kind of hanging out, uh, waiting for mom and dad to come and get me to take me back out south where we lived about seven miles. And uh, after he got done having this young boy read for him, he invited me into the to the my grandma's den there in her home, and uh, I went in there. Initially, though, I said, "Oh, that's okay. I'm 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 good right where I'm at. I wasn't comfortable doing that." He said, oh, it's, "It's not a big deal. Just just come in and read a couple lines out of a script." So I thought, "Well, I guess it's no harm, no foul." So I went in. I read for him. I thought, "Oh, so that's what a real script looks like." And I read the read a few lines for him, and and. Uh, Got out of the room in a few minutes and thought, okay, well, that was kind of cool, but I had no aspirations or feelings that, yeah, I wanna, I wanna pursue this. So I, I didn't. I mean, I didn't inquire about it. Uh, you know, yeah, you, chance you let me know whether I got any, you know, opportunity. That was nothing. He called, uh, oh, probably a good month later, and he said, uh, and this was after school had let out now and. The summer was starting to kick in, and he said, hey, uh, what would you think about coming down to Los Angeles and reading for the director of the that I've hired to do the film? And I said, well, I, I'm not too excited about that. And then he, then he said, 
we'd fly you down and fly you back, basically take care of you. He lived down in California at the time. So I, you know, was gonna, would go down and stay with him for a few days. And, you know, that kind of intrigued me to be able to ride an airplane. Never been on an airplane. So I was excited about that. And uh, they flew me down on the appointed time to go down and, and uh, read for the director. I read for the director and, you know, it, it just didn't seem like my thing. It wasn't something that I was really interested in doing. Uh, but I, nonetheless, I did it. And, and after a, a couple of days of them do, doing a little bit of the director, kind of working with me, trying to see if I could follow some direction and maybe follow how they would like me to say something or, you know, being a, a greenhorn, um, I, I did. I read for them and I didn't think. I thought, well, that's kind of neat. I, I mean, I read, read, you know, a little while earlier, read from the, the script. And so I just thought, well, that's just a little bit more experience, but no aspiration, no desire whatsoever to be in the film. So I went back home, thought, well, that's kind of cool. I got to ride on an airplane or jet and, and uh, went about my regular summer duties. We're changing sprinkler pipe in the morning and at night and going out in the hayfield. And uh, it was probably a, a few weeks later. Are you tired of whipping, scolding, and shocking to make them get alone? Is your buddy tired of helping you set your dog up for correction night after night? Do you really want your dog to be alone because you forced him to be? Or would you rather him be alone because he wants to be? Grand Knight Champion Small Town Lone Survivor is the product of over 25 years of strong natural-born independent traits. This bold trait has been passed down from generation to generation and is showing up in loner offspring today. Loner is a direct son of Hall of Fame Grand Knight Champion Cabin Creek Rowdy and Grand Knight Champion Lonesome Dove Lori. Loner has a booming mouth that is talked about in every cast he has been in, including the 2021 World Hunt Finals. Loner is a no-reverse, ball-mouth open trailer who ends it plussed up with a huge dying locate and steady chop. Loner loves getting split and is a stay-put gun-pressure tree dog. Loner's intelligence is also impressive. He knows over 12 voice and hand signal commands. Loner has a character that loves like Jesus, but he doesn't walk on water. If you're interested in breeding to Loner, contact Brett Stevens at Small Town English Kennels at 417-300-3777 or find him on Facebook. If you're interested in running a stud ad for your dog here on the Coonhound Collective podcast, reach out to us at thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. Send us a message through Facebook or Instagram, and we'll be glad to get with you to get your ad bill and get you pricing on all of our ads. When I received the call from my uncle shortly after doing the California screen test, or well, I shouldn't say screen test, but reading for the director, that's when I received another call to... Uh, go down to Brigham Young University there where they have a, a, a film studio and uh, they asked if I'd do a screen test. They wanted me to to see what it looked like on <clears throat> on film. And so I went down there uh, reluctantly um, with, with it being my uncle. You know, obviously I wanted to try to please him, but 
I really had, again, no interest to pursue the, the film industry. But uh, he was interested in trying to get this film and get it right. So he he was pretty adamant about saying, hey, I just would like you to come and do these screen tests. So I, I agreed, went down to Brigham Young University there in Provo, Utah, about uh, three hours from my home. And uh, there I spent a couple days with a, I guess an up and coming director who was in the, in the film industry program down there that was trying to learn how to, to direct films. And, and, uh, he spent a couple of days, probably frustrating days with me trying to get me pull out of me something that wasn't necessarily my desire to want to have pulled out. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I did the screen tests and, and went back home to my you know life there on the ranch and, and uh, everything seemed to be like I thought it should have been. Oh, well, I got my duty done, and now I'm home. But anyway, I ended up uh, a few weeks later with another phone call, and they said, uh, Stuart, we've got it narrowed down to about, uh, well, we've, got, we've, we've interviewed 600 other young men, and uh, we just we want to have you come down. We've narrowed it down to four. And you're one of them. We'd like to do these screen tests down in in Oklahoma, so they wanted to meet in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, and at the university there, or Tulsa. I, I don't remember. I was just a kid. It was, it was a college anyway, and they were going to do do the same thing, do some more screen tests. This was a little different. I <clears throat> I uh, I was looking forward to my last year of of uh, junior high football. I uh, didn't want to miss that, so I really, really kind of drug my feet and. And uh, my brother, older brother, said, "Well, Stuart, you probably, you know, you they'll fly you down there. It's another free airplane ride, and and uh, you'll probably be back in a week or so. So it's you know, it's not like you're going to miss your season. You might miss a few weeks of, or a week of practice, but you know, made made sense to me. So I I took his advice and said, okay, I'll go down. But I I went down kind of just with the attitude I, you know." This will be a fun little trip, but I'll be back. Well, when I got down there, that's when the, <clears throat> there was kind of a little bit of a flip uh, switch that flipped. That uh, not that I wanted to to be in a film, but I wanted to to win the part. I wanted to, I, I'm kind of a competitive person, and I wanted to win the part. I thought that's that's what that was all about. You know, I, I saw these other young men and good, you know, good little little guys and and uh, as, as I thought maybe I was too but uh, I just wanted to make sure that uh, at least I if I won that that meant that I was the winner not that I thought anything more than that uh, my it was pretty shallow in my thinking I obviously is a, a young teenager but uh, I I worked a little harder as they tried to you know consult me and tell me how I needed to say something to do these screen tests and when the dust settled, uh, my uncle came in and says, well, the director's chosen you to do the film. And uh, so really would like you to do it. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that's good. When do I need to get, when, when do I get to go home now? Hey, guys, this is Jason over at the Coonhound Collective Podcast. Is your dog box starting to get war? Maybe it's starting to get a little crack like mine is. Maybe you've just been thinking about it's time to upgrade to a, to a new box, but You've asked your buddies and you're just not real sure what direction to go in. Well, let me help you out here. 
Go check my friends out at CZ Welding and Fabrication Custom Doll Boxes and Aluminum Products on Facebook. You can check out all their custom work they do there and their designs that they do. If you don't see something that you don't exactly like there, reach out to Nathan at 540-810-5439, 540-810-5439, or send him a message through the Facebook page. I bet he can fix you up. Don't wait till fall to get that new dog box. Go ahead, get that dog box now. Get you uh, get you something looking good in the back of your truck that, that you can be proud of and that you can haul your dog around in comfort. Check my friends out at CZ Welding and Fabrication. You won't go wrong. Dog boxes built by hunters for hunters. Get yours today. CZ Welding and Fabrication. Well, he said uh, we're we're going to start here in about a week and a half. So we'd like you just to stay down here and got to get to know the dogs and and would like you to start toughening up your feet. So you might just work on going barefoot here for the next little bit. And, uh, of course, I'm 13 at that point, you know, fairly young, hadn't really been out away from home much. And, and uh, all of a sudden it kind of set in, I became pretty homesick about being that far away from my family. You know, dad was busy haying and mom busy with five other kids at home. And I, uh, I felt like a pretty lone man on an island out there. And I was, you know, just thought, what have I got myself into? This isn't what I had thought or imagined I'd ever be doing. But I guess I kind of uh, tried to have a stiff upper lip, and and uh, I pushed ahead with a lot of encouragement from home, saying I could go ahead and do that. I could, I could make it work. And so that's kind of that's that was my start and introduction into the film business. Um, and not like again, not something that I had any ever had any aspirations or ideas that yeah, that's what when I grow up, that's what I want to do. I quite the opposite. I just thought I, that I love the country. Wouldn't have ever pictured myself hanging out in a big city, and and in fact, didn't end up out be out in a big city because everything that uh, I did was pretty much done out on location in Oklahoma, where the the book uh, gets its takes its roots from so that's kind of how i got into it and then it kind of just went from there my uncle had me do other films later on uh usually about one a year there till i got out of high school and uh that was just kind of what i experienced every year for a bit okay well if you're listening and you haven't figured out mr stewart was billy coleman in the movie where the red fern grows and um I, you know, whenever I, I sent you the email and, and you replied back, um, I, you know, and, and we talked on the phone and that day and, and, and I, I, we've had some, some dealings trying to get together with your schedule, my schedule and stuff. And boy, I, I was just beyond excited because as, <laughs> as a young man growing up, reading that book in school, um, my dad coon hunted, my stepdad coon hunted, I, I literally thought I was Billy Coleman. Um, uh, growing up and, and I, and I'm probably, you know, not just speaking for myself. I'm speaking for a big majority of, uh, coon hunters out there. I don't know how closely, um, you follow the sport of coon hunting, especially competition coon hunting, um, nowadays, but that, um, that book and that movie, um, ha has really got 
a lot of young kids and, and young men involved in the sport of coon hunting to to this is you know the competition side of coon hunting is a major deal that this past year they've had two or three hunts that first place paid out a hundred thousand dollars wow so um yeah i had no idea that uh, it had you know i i i learned about you know the actual sport of coon hunting uh a little bit prior to doing the film but i i i thought well we don't have any coons out here in the in the west and growing up we never did now we got them they've been pretty prolific coming around uh they're always getting into stuff here but i that was my introduction as well uh to the coon hunting uh stories that many people tell and and in fact was invited to go coon hunting uh a couple different times and i i just thought that was awesome it was just a an addicting sport because there's something about hearing dogs bay in the night in the darker night uh, that kind of gives me a thrill kind of much like i i what i feel like when i'm up in the mountains and hear a big bull elk bull bugle it's just it just sends you a kind of a chill down you and you think oh this is this is awesome but uh, that's kind of what that was my introduction and so i haven't uh, and since then really haven't had the chance because coming back out to, to the west to where i live in wyoming why we still don't have what i'm sure you guys have as far as coon terrain and, and all that but we still have them but uh that was that was my introduction and i've always thought uh, that's a that's a great sport yeah well i you know i kind of find it ironic i'm i'm from southeast alabama and um you know that's where of course i've I seen the movie read the book and um and now i live in the foothills of the ozark mountains and so uh-huh. um you know that that movie just ring ringed even more truer for for me and uh you know, as I've gotten older and, you know, my, my kids have watched it and, um, you know, other people's talked about it and what a, what an impact a, a book and a movie could have on a, on a generation of people. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it, uh, it has, it has uh, lasting values that I think everybody can to try to associate with. Um, and that's, I think what's made the, made it have such, you know, a long span of, of life, uh, shelf life for people, even, even today, watch that story and, and, uh, are moved by feelings and emotions that, uh, that are associated with that, that type of thing. So it's, it's a pretty neat thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, as you get into this movie and, and you're, you're getting ready for it, I assume that those dogs that you, you, you got to do some hunting with them prior, um, to, to actually the filming or, or how did that work? Well, you know, they, they had, uh, they had several dogs to do the two parts. Uh, as I recall, they had, uh, something like 13 dogs. Why it was odd because there was only, you know, the two main parts, but they had 13 dogs and, uh, all of them had various uses during the course of making a film because uh, they had the, the puppies and then they had the half-growns and then they had, of course, the adult uh, dogs. And they had more of the adult dogs because that that's what kind of gave them the ability to, to you know, in different uh, scenes have the, the skill sets that they'd been training these dogs to do. So... I, I didn't get to hunt with those. Those were those were all just mostly, uh, you know, the film dogs that obviously had the bloodlines to to do what they 
you know, the coon hunting stuff, but uh, I was able to go with some locals out there in, in the uh, in Tahlequah area to, to do that, but to do the hunting with their dogs. But these dogs were, you know, being trained and worked with, and they wanted me to get to know them, which I did. And as a young boy, that's that was kind of exciting. I always enjoyed animals. Uh, coming from back in the West, why dogs were always pretty much on the loose. They, you know, we never had a dog that was tied up uh, or in a in a kennel, which those dogs had to be, because otherwise you just never knew where you're going to end up with finding a dog or getting a call saying, "Hey, your dog's clear over here," on you know five miles away and um so it was it was different for me to to see that type of uh pet i i guess you'd say so i had to i had to you know adjust my thinking a little bit about why and what uh had the opportunity to to uh, have one of them but i just in my little boy heart i thought man i'm not i can't do that i can't take them home and then they've been used to to doing the the hunting thing and i i wouldn't have had any hunting for him to do other just be out and about and i didn't want to have to keep kenneled all the time you know live it out on the ranch but you know those were those were some of my thoughts as a little boy excited about the idea but it just didn't seem to pan out that that's what i needed to do is have a dog come home and not have what it was bred to do so yeah yeah well and, and you know that 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 movie and 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 book has probably sold more red bone puppies than than, than any other advertisement <laughs> that that could be doing. My 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 dad had a pair of red bones, and, and uh-huh. when I was a kid, and it, it their names was Dan and Ann, and uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and they they were actually a guy had them that was a, a deer dogger. He run deer deer with these dogs, and the dogs wouldn't run deer during the daytime. They they treat coons, and he give them to my dad. And that's how oh. that's how we ended up with them. But um, in, in other scenes in that movie, um, I, like the how how was things filmed? Like with the mountain lion scene and stuff like that. I, I mean, looking at it from the movie, you know, my especially my my kids now they look at that and they're they're like, how was that even done? You know, back then, because that's that's obviously not a computer generated mountain lion. So no, no, no. They they had they had two different mountain lions. They had one that was was quite gentle and and uh, you know was was actually trained to do certain things. And then they had one that was you know pretty much wild. It was uh, it had no uh, sense of of being tamed. And uh, so. They would use anything that were were close up where there was contact with uh, physical contact with the, with the cat. It was the tame one, and uh, and anything that was like associated with the dogs in the in the scenes with the dogs coming in, that was real real life interaction there with the wild cat, the one that was was uh, not prone to let you come up and and pet it and have it per per back at you. This one, this one was a, a wild one. I remember watching. We did those scenes. They did those scenes at night. I was thought, man, that's pretty cool. But what they on those in those particular scenes with the wild one, with the dogs coming in, and uh, <clears throat> they had a, a really light cable that was strong enough to hold that cat tied on a cable, uh, you know, tied to that cat, and, and, and then the cable anchored. And uh, they would, you know, 
put the cat where the wild one where it needed to be with that you know, cable and of course the trainers had to be really careful um and then during the scenes when they turned the dogs loose they they had uh, had those dogs going in i remember one where the cat latched onto that dog's head and and uh wasn't letting go anytime soon they had the the trainers and i thought what's well, kind of and see they went in with the fire extinguisher and sprayed it uh on the cat and dog to try to let that cat release and he did and uh but that dog had some pretty good puncture wounds in the in its head uh but i thought wow that and, and yet that dog was one of those that wanted to keep going back after that cat but, and that's i got i thought that was interesting that some of them they'd get swatted and they'd come out kayaking and and uh wouldn't go back in and that was another reason why they needed more dogs and just uh need more adult dogs because they needed to be able to make sure there were a couple dogs in that uh, in the picture all the time um going after that cat so that's and that was what i saw as a you know 13 year old that i thought i was pretty intrigued by all of that that went on with the the scenes where they where it was pretty well live action yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. I, I would say that is uh, live action, especially for for a young kid to see that that's not really probably been around that very much. But uh, no, uh, I don't think we could have gotten away with it today. There's too many uh, too <laughs> yeah. many beetle lovers that uh, don't understand. You know, all of the controls that were put in place as well. Not that dogs didn't get hurt, you know, because they did. I mean, that was just the nature of it. Uh, but that was uh that was kind of a, a cool thing to watch yeah so earlier i talked about the impact the movie and the books had on coon hunters you know would be back east from you what what kind of impact did the movie have on you as a as a young man uh in that time well you know i think probably the thing that, uh, that I, I look back on most uh, about what what kind of impact it had was the fact that just I was away from home. I, you know, I don't know about the storyline. You know, I, yeah, I thought about it because, but it was, that's kind of, that was kind of who I was anyway. I mean, I, I was out all the time hunting anything I could, uh, behind the house there. We, you know, we had nothing but rangeland that had, there was a rock, rock uh, ridge of rocks that ran a couple miles behind, you know, that was right behind the house there, maybe a mile behind. And, I went and I explored every, you know, aspect of those, that little ridge. And often I found rock chucks. I found, you know, rabbits uh, in the process, uh, badgers, um, you know, uh, just a small game. But uh, that's where I kind of learned the, the kind of the hunting instincts that uh, that come when you do start hunting. And so for me, it was, it was a pretty exciting thing to be be raised with that but then now and i'll be out and and, and kind of i guess you'd call faking it but uh i was i was actually hunting again but it was a, it was a different type of hunting so you know it uh it impacted me from the st- standpoint of it uh it put me out there by myself trying to do something away from home uh at that age uh and also being very concerned about what my peers would be thinking or seeing and and uh thinking about me so i it was uh i felt like i had to grow up just a little bit quicker than maybe i would have otherwise um and i had the opportunity to you know work really really close with 
with some pretty cool people. You know, you take James Whitmore and, and Beverly Garland, Jack Ging, you know, they, they all kind of took me under the wing and, and, uh, we had quite a fun time. You know, I just, I really looked up to those people and, and it was just a overall great experience that way. So it, it, it kind of opened my eyes, but it also opened my eyes to, to some, some of the values that lacked in, in, uh, human behavior. As I saw, you know, people that seemed to show infidelity in their lives and, and thought that was just, you know, that went along with the territory of being in the film business. And I just thought I came from a, a strong uh, family, home family background where where mom and dad were were uh, uh, faithful to one another. And and uh, and then all of a sudden I was placed in a situation where I saw where good people were making poor choices uh, while their their family or you know, their loved ones were back home away from it. I just thought, hmm, that's an interesting, you know, thing that I'd never seen. Um, I hadn't been raised around it. Uh, my little town is a small town of about 500 people. You knew everybody. And, and you just, it, it was more, it was way uncommon for somebody to to be unfaithful to his companion or her companion, um, as the case may be. And so, all of that was a, a real eye opener for me, and and uh, I think helped shape my life too. Because um, the storyline that you know that the, the Red Fern revolves around is the, really the family unit, and uh, that's kind of what I what I saw, and I thought this this doesn't match up with what I I know and, and really like about uh, what the way I was being raised, and what I saw, but I related with what the storyline was all about and that was about family. Yeah. And, and I think that's what that, that storyline, um, that you related with there. I think that's what a, a lot of people, um, relate with because the sport of coon hunting ha- in the past has been known as a family style sport that everybody can be involved in. Um, yeah, it, it, it's that movie mainstreamed, coon hunting at a at a small level then but it is it has really become an impactful sport um you know with, with some of the monetary prizes you can win um you know last night when, when we were talking i had some phone issues and stuff i was at a coon hunt a wild coon hunt right right then last night uh, oh, when my we were recording and um <laughs> you know and we're hunting for money not yeah he wasn't hunting for big money but but those those type hunts take place on a daily basis throughout the week i I could be to a a hunt that pays money uh four to five days a week driving within an hour hour and a half from my house now and wow i I can't imagine and and, you know that that movie i truly believe um helped set the stage for that to come about you know they 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 were hide hunters that that went out and harvested coons for their hide and sold their furs. And a lot of yep, people yep. paid money, you know, good money for that. And made, they made good money. A lot of people made their, their yearly earnings from that. And then when the fur market, uh, you know, went out, they were having some competition coon hunts where you, um, 
you know, you could go out and win some trophies and some prizes and stuff like that. And Jarvis Umphrey was an innovator in our sport. Uh, he created a kennel club at the time. It was called PCA, Professional Coon Hunters Association. And the idea behind it was, hey, we, instead of hunting for trophies, we could hunt for money. Well, Mr. Wow. Jarvis passed away um, last year um, right before they they put together a uh, P, it, it, the name of his organization he started he had, it had been sold and uh he had sold it and kind of got away not actually away from it he's still somewhat involved but it had been changed to what is now known as pkc professional kennel club and they put on a hunt and it's called the jarvis umphers memorial hunt down in mississippi this past year and the first place prize paid a hundred thousand dollars to the winner oh and wow. they were going to, I think, have 32 entries taken, $4,000 entry fees is what it cost to get in it. And wow. it filled so fast, and they had such a big waiting list, they put on two of those hunts the same weekend. So they had two first-place prizes that paid $100,000. And coming from, <laughs> from where that movie was in that time era of, of when that was you know, done, and the 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 mainstream that it put coon hunting out in the public eye and so many people have watched it and been impacted by it, i truly believe that was the stepping stone to put coon hunting where it's at today and and literally wow. we we've not even touched where it's going to stop i mean we we we're, we're getting sponsorships involved we got dog food companies sponsoring you know kennel clubs and hunts and and stuff and mm. and all that to me Looking back, and, and when I talked to other people, and I, and I and I've shared that I was going to be interviewing you with just a few people, you know, a, a lot of those people say that movie was, was the was the kind of the gateway, the opening up uh, for the public eye for coon hunting to become mainstream. And, and we have several podcasts out now that talk just like mine that talk about coon hunting and and dog care and stuff like that. And all that was formed from that movie or that book that people read out there and you know wow. what an impact that it's it's had on the sport and, and people's lives you know at, at that uh, yeah who would have thought i mean i i i that as you're telling me these things i'm thinking wow that's uh that's that's a quite a progressive uh you know history if it's pushed out there to be something i mean for heaven's sakes that was done a lot of years ago <laughs> And and here, you know, the uh, the sport has grown to. I would have thought as the population grew, probably that would go down. But it sounds like that that uh, has been quite the opposite. That's that's neat. Yeah. Well, and they used to have. I'd say back in the eighties, um, early nineties, you would show up at a hunt. But now you would have like one hunt a month or two hunt two hunts a month, and you'd show up, and they'd be fifty, sixty, seventy dogs at these hunts. As time is progressive. Wow progressed and now like i said i could be at a at a hunt within an hour and a half of my house any night of the week i wanted to go of course numbers have went down but the monetary right. the monetary side of that you know in, in that in, in in the end of the movie you know you or not right at the end of the movie but close to the end of the movie you know they go out and they have the competition uh, hunt yeah. that, that you were uh -huh. involved in and you know that money being put in I, I look at that now that money being put into that gold cup uh, th that was won there what it has evolved to today 
of just yeah. the Jarvis Umphers Memorial Hunt. They, they've had the $100,000 hunt. Uh, there's another organization called Pro Sport that they've had the, the $100,000 hunt. And, and by the way, the same dog has won in the last six months, won like 300, 200 or 300 and something thousand dollars. Cause he's won two of those hundred thousand dollar hunts. So, so that, so that makes those dogs pretty, pretty pricey when you, for a breeder. Yes. Yeah. They, they have become very valuable and, um, they they are wow. to, to buy to buy a good dog it, it is very very pricey to buy i mean it's it's not uncommon to hear numbers like 30 40 50 60,000 even oh. rumor it has it there's been a few six figures six figures thrown around to to, to buy a dog so yeah the, oh. the, the, <laughs> the those dogs have become very valuable um over yeah. the time and, and you know in in the stud dog world at one time uh, just male dogs that were being bred to, to select females really blew up and become a big, big deal, um, you know, back several years ago and, and still is a big deal. But now you can win so much more money just going out hunting. So it's, I don't think it's quite as prominent as it was once was. It's still very important, you know, for, for yeah, bloodlines yeah. and, and stuff like that. So, um, and believe it or not, this this is what's probably the craziest thing is there is still a lot of good red bone coon hounds out there, but huh. you very rarely see um, red bones at a competition hunt, at least in my area where I'm at. There's one guy that hunts them. Uh, the tree and walker dog is the dominant dog, bar none, uh, across the sport, across all kennel clubs. Uh, it is uh -huh. it is the, the dominant dog. And, and, you know, if you show up at a hunt, you're, you're going to draw out with, with mostly tree and walkers if you're hunting something different. And there may not be nothing there but tree and walkers if you're hunting something different in your dog. I mean, for the way that it's changed over the years, because you would think, because that, like I said, that movie has had a great impact on people and probably sold more red bone puppies than any, any other advertisement a red bone breeder could do. Um, yeah. You know, throughout the country, but um, that it's just, it's kind of, how it the breed you know kind of went from everybody wanting a red bone to now these walker dogs are winning all this money so that's what everybody's gone to but that yeah that yeah. That, that movie that I, I, again i look at that scene where they're putting that money in that gold cup and that's that has progressed to where we are today where we're giving um a hundred thousand dollars away to a first place prize winner at a wild coon hunt and so so what 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 uh, seems to be the, the the I guess the promoting factor of the uh, or the idea that there's we have fewer or you have fewer actual working hound dogs uh, uh, in the red bone breed than, than the others. What is it? Just that uh, there's a there's a change in the breeding of uh, animals that seem to be more capable of in, in being defined find that stuff out there well the 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 way you know of course like in, in coon hunting especially back in the day um in the in, in my time of growing up in the in the early 80s mid 80s whatever dogs dog coon dogs packed together they all treat under the same tree um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, and that's just the way it was well as time has progressed um we've developed uh and bred and trained for what they call the deep and lonely dog, which is a dog that they have 
wanting to go against their natural uh, packing senses, and they want that dog to hunt by itself. Well, oh. in, in doing that, um, I don't know if it's through breeding, through purposely breeding, or if it just happened, but the tree and walker breed seem to grasp that and really run with it, and, and they've created a product that's that's been pretty easy to to accomplish that because if they're treeing coons off by themselves, they're scoring higher points by themselves, so therefore they can win uh, yeah. by themselves. And I'm not saying there's not red bones that do that; they they there there surely are. But the treeing walker breeders, um, they they you know they I guess they didn't allow jealousy in in you know between or ego in between them and. They done what they had to do to breed dogs that would win, and you know us other breeds. And I don't hunt a tree and walker. Uh, I, I hunt I hunt English and black and tans. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know uh, us other breeders maybe have not went that that far as yeah. to, to trying to make make that happen. And and you know some some of us are still you know a, a little bit older school where I'm out pleasure hunting. I don't mind a dog to to pack and i really me personally i'm not a deep and lonely type guy because i think that's going to go by the wayside with family farms being sold off left and right we're, we're getting right smaller right. parcels of land to to hunt and you're not going to be able to hunt that dog that goes a mile before before he trees a coon you're you're going to have to have something that hunts from the truck and a lot of them do hunt from the truck but there's a big portion of them that you know they, they blow in the country deep and they're they're looking for a hot track to get treed quick and 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 that's, yeah. that's worked for them, and they and they've won. But and there there's some there's some spurts in some breeds: the red bone breed, the black and tan breed, the English breed, the, sp- uh, the plot breed, the American leopard hound. There there's little spurts of dogs across the country that you'll say, "Oh, look there that 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 dog you know made it to the final four. I got a buddy that, matter of fact, was at the coon hunt last night. His his uh his I think it's his son or nephew. Um, hunted in the Oklahoma state youth championship this past weekend with a blue tick. And when they, they drawed out on the final cast, he was the only blue tick. There was three other, uh, Walker dogs. He, and he took fourth place. So there, oh my there there's, there's spurts of different breeds, you know, that you'll see showed up, but pr- the predominant dominant breed is the tree and Walker Walker breed for sure. And, wow. and, and like I said, they, they've just done a good job at producing a product that, uh, that has been consistently winning and uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, pe- people that's, that's what they're in it for. Cause furs, I mean, they're yeah. just not worth any money anymore. So people are not fur hunting anymore, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so uh, other than where the red fern grows, what, what other movies ha- have you uh, acted in? I, I did a film called uh, seven alone. It, uh, it's a storyline of people that were, on their way to the fertile country of north, uh, the northwest of Washington. Um, it was just a, it's a, it's a kind of a western, but about a family that picked up and headed headed to the northwest, and uh, the challenges and trials that took place there as family members got sick, or you know, in this case, uh, the dad passed away, leaving the mother to to uh, try to manage getting out there on her own with the kids and uh and so that was that one came right after after i'd done redford and then there was one called against the crooked sky um which was about a 
kind of takes place in the in the setting of the uh, Utah desert to going back and and uh, you know in the early west when it was still wild and Indians uh, you know were were being imposed upon by the white man going out there and some of the ch- ch- challenges that that provoked and and uh, so that's kind of where I you know uh, well, then I did I did one uh, would have been I guess probably my last uh, one of the last films I did it was uh, a storyline called Rivals it was about a family that had gone um, the move from Wyoming uh, out to California after the, the dad had passed away and and uh, you know went out there try to be closer to some family and and it you know the talk about the adjustments that the young man had to make they beat be in that kind of a uh, you know setting going from the country to the big city so that's kind of those were kind of the you know the I guess my childhood or youth uh, films that I did I did a couple other little things uh, um, for, you know, it was an ABC after school special called The Skating Rink uh, about that time, about my senior year in high school. And, and then I've done a, a couple little tiny things for the LDS church, which I'm a member of. And so that was, and that's been my career. I had other opportunity, but I, you know, at some point I, I needed to, to really move on with what I was interested in uh, for my life and and the film industry just didn't have that place in my life so that's kind of where it went yeah and, and that's that's where I was uh getting to because I, I want you to have an opportunity here and I, I know I know we're we're getting close to a deadline here where you, you're going to need to get get on the road and get going yep. so yeah I, I that's where I was headed to with this I, I want you to tell about what what you do now with Crooked Sky okay. Outfitters how, you know, if, okay. if, if someone uh, tell us about it, what all you hunt, what all you do. And then also if someone is interested in booking a, uh, outfitting trip, h- how they would get in touch with you. Okay. Well, uh, 40 years ago, I, I started working with my, uh, my mother's brother, another one of her, uh, brothers, uh, who was, who had gotten in the outfitting business in the sixties. And, uh, I became a, a partner with him in the late eighties. And at the time, we called it Crooked Sky Outfitters, and uh, so that was the name we went under for many years. And then when my uncle got uh, aging, he uh, he finally sold out, sold out to my son, my oldest son, and uh, he became my partner there for a few years. But his ultimate goal and dream was to try to he was trying to get to, to where he would, you know, have a ranch. He wanted a ranch, and as I did back at his age, and and he uh, he he went and uh, bought part of the family ranch, and that was how he was to try to get started. And to do that, he wanted to raise a little money, so he he sold his his portion to a partner of mine, a friend that I had become uh, acquainted with, and he enjoyed. In fact, he came up and guided for me for many years, uh, Chad Martin, and and so he we uh, but. When in the meantime, when when my son came became partner, he said, "Dad, he says I'd like to, you know, kind of have a, this with me coming in, maybe change the name." And so we we proposed a, a lot of names with my family, my kids, and and uh, Crooked Sky was one of them. And uh, as they were thinking about the past, of the film, and so that's how it got its name that we carry it now. 
And then uh, we just, that's what uh, for the last, well, like I say, I've been involved in this industry for about 40 years now and, and uh, love doing, we go on, we take people up fishing uh, on summer pack trips, uh, trail rides, um, letting them see the, the, the creation of God's hand. And so it's, it's been a pretty fun thing to, to, to be involved in that way. I also, in the off season do, uh, I build custom homes and, uh, that's what keeps me busy during the, the off, the off time. But, uh, for, since we had, uh, Steve Ranella and his crew come out to, to, hunt with us why they they were just awesome they really kind of opened the door for us and made it to where we we have uh you know uh, just a, a bigger cross-section of of america knowing who who we are a little bit and that's just been kind of a fun thing and we just really appreciate the fact that uh steve and and Giannis were so gracious in in their kind words about how we took care of them and what we did but we hunt mostly deer elk and moose if you can get a license and uh we're here in southwestern wyoming uh in the bridger teton national forest we pack and we have a pack in camp and then we also have a camp we can drive to but it's all horseback so it's uh it's kind of a true western hunt <coughs> and that's that's what i do today we uh as we speak to now i'm, I'm headed to uh Headed up with a pack trip. We've got a, a couple different families coming up, and we're we're going to take them up, and and uh, they're going to do some fishing. We do some pistol shooting. We we do uh, trail rides. We do uh, fishing, and uh, so we we just we just have a good time doing that kind of stuff, and that's kind of what I what I love doing. Yeah, well, and like we talked before, I, I've never, never been, been, been out west to to do any of that, and and maybe one day uh, here soon, maybe I can get a trip uh, booked with you to come out there and meet you in person and and uh, do some fishing or hunting or, or or something along those lines. If if someone was listening out there and they wanted to get a hold of you about booking a uh, a trip uh, to come out there, how would they go about doing that? Well, we, we got, if they get on our website, uh, you know, on our Crooked Sky website, there will, it'll go through the kind of a little menu showing some of the things we do. And then, uh, they, there, when they get on there, they can then contact us, me or my partner, Chad Martin, and, uh, we'll try to give them the scoop on what we do and when we do it. And all our summer pack trips go from about the middle of July through, first of September and then our fall hunts uh, September's all uh, all archery we usually hunt the two middle weeks of September for archery hunts for elk and really don't do much for deer that way because most people want to they think I feel like that maybe they'll have a better shot at a deer with the rifle and then we uh, we run deer hunts there the first of October for, for a week uh, 10 days and then we have uh a rifle elk hunt in October, beginning the 15th. So now that's kind of how, that's our our busy time. We usually are, are packing out when the snows are, uh, mountain snows are starting to get deep enough to we want to get out of there by the, you know, the third or fourth week of October. Yeah. 
Well, I, I will say this in, in trying to get this lined up. You you are probably the, the hardest working, busiest uh, actor <laughs> that I know of, that's for sure. Because the first time I talked to you, I think you were part-time sleeping in a tent while you're building a house and uh, yep. you know you several times we've talked and you've been sketching out stuff and so uh, I do I, I truly truly uh, I, I don't know that, that you'll know how, how appreciative I am for you to carve out a little bit of time for us to to get this episode shot and done and uh, I, I truly do appreciate it and um, I you know if you ever come out east uh, towards Missouri, please, please give me a call. I'd love to, love to meet up with you and, um, you know, and, and, and well, have I, you out here. That may very well could happen. My youngest daughter, I have six kids. I have three boys, three girls. And, uh, my youngest one got married here a little over a year ago. And, uh, uh, well, it'll be two years actually now here's the end of summer, but, uh, she married a young man from, from out there in, uh, Missouri. So I've been out there uh, a few times, but on on when we when they got married, we went out there for the reception, and that's a beautiful country, and and uh, that would be fun, fun thing to to consider, knowing that I've got somebody out there who might know a little bit anyway, yeah. other than uh, other than my son and law and my daughter. Well, by all means, give a, give me a call. We'll 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 get one of these old plug coon dogs i got out of, out of, out and we'll turn loose so you can hear one go go again yeah that would be fun that's uh that that, that would be a thrill for me again i i uh i did once uh well a couple times take uh, some guys out here on a on a uh mountain lion hunt which was run by dogs and i had a good friend across the street that uh, i hired him to to him and his dogs to come and help me run the run the cats and that was just a, a thrill again to hear those things bay and and carry on and and uh only we were doing it in the middle of the day and about uh, two foot of snow but uh nonetheless the, the thrill was still there to hear them you know work and and do what they do yeah so. well like i said my my door's always open if you head out this way you give me a call we'll i'll load some dogs and we'll 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 go turn a turn a dog loose see if we can get a, a coon treat somewhere and it would be an honor to to have you have you along well, with me so um, i appreciate you and it's been an honor to visit with you i uh i've, I've appreciated the hospitality and the uh still the the uh the gentlemanly way of of the men that i've had a chance to associate with out that in that neck of the woods and it's uh i i think we in the west could take a lot to, from you guys and and run with it would make us better out here that way so i appreciate you guys and your your uh your approach to to other people and we need a little more need a lot more of those people in our lives hey guys jason at the coonhound collective podcast today i'm here to talk to you about a benefit hunt that's coming up the state of missouri coon hunters association is holding the annual shriners children's hospital benefit hunt on september the 24th 2022 this is a ukc sanctioned event there will be a bench show and a night hunt there will also be a auction on the grounds at one o'clock for more information on that you can go to the shriners children's hospital benefit stud dog auction and more on facebook and check it out you can scroll down through there the winner of the bench show is going to get a cz custom dog box the winner of the night hunt is going to get the same custom dog box 
There's a dog box up for auction right now over there and a ton of stud dogs. Really nice dogs. Be a good opportunity to reserve a breeding uh, for one of these dogs. Get it, get your name in there. Stay on top of it. Make sure you win it so you can uh, get a good breeding for that good female that you got out there. Uh, and there's a ton more other prizes. There's puppies being given away, uh, some young young dogs that are being auctioned, uh, a, a lot of good things. Coon hunters are coming together for a great cause here. Help us make this hunt a large hunt here in Missouri. Help us raise some money to, to give to the Shriners Hospital. Uh, the, these guys are excited. They're they're on they're really on fire here to try to make this hunt big. They're making a push here to make it. So help these guys out to uh, really make this hunt a a big hunt. You can reach out to Larry Bourbon if you don't have Facebook. And his phone number is 636-388-5420. 388-5420 or you can also reach out to Colton Ingram and his phone number 636-249-3330 636-249-3330 if you have something that you can auction off get with these guys they'll get it posted up on the page and get the auction running anything and everything it doesn't have to be coon hunter hunted related get it to them let's help these guys raise money for a great cause here coon hunters always come together to help other people this is a great cause to help people let's help the state of missouri coon Hunter association send a big check to the shriners hospital thanks well again uh mr stewart i know you got to run i really appreciate you taking your time to be on the podcast today and um you know and again i i just i don't know if you realize the impact that 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 part you played so many years ago in the in that movie where the red fern grows has had on other coon hunters but uh, on behalf of coon hunters out there we we all appreciate you uh pushing yeah. through and take, taking that leap of faith to to take that part in that movie because it 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 truly has impacted uh, a lot of coon hunters lives i, I can well, tell you that i i appreciate that and and uh, i i wish you well jason in your uh, endeavors it sounds like you have the you know at least an opportunity to to have a positive impact on people's lives with what you're doing and i hope that that will carry on because we need more of that in this world that uh, people being uh, being good to each other and being kind and and, uh, and, and being willing to help and, and lift. And I sense that from you. So I I, I thank you for your time and, and uh, just wish you well. Much success and, and hopefully our paths will cross again soon. Yeah, yes, sir. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And yeah. I know you got to go out, so I'll let you, let you jump off here okay. and I'll talk to you later. Take care and have a good one out Thank there. Bye bye. What an honor to to be able to speak to someone that I know has impacted my life. I'm sure I speak for a lot of you out there. Um, the true real life Billy Coleman uh, to to have that that person that acted in that movie uh, to take the time out to be on the Coonhound Collective podcast. What an honor. We we truly appreciate Mr. Stuart Peterson for cutting time out as you heard he's a very busy man building houses and outfitting so i truly truly do appreciate and, and cherish that time to to be able to speak with him i hope you enjoyed this podcast and this interview as much as i did i think this is the foundation of our competition coon hunting that we have mm -hmm.
Thanks, guys, for listening to the Coonhound Collective podcast today. We really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to listen to the podcast. If you don't mind, head over to Facebook and give us a like, and head over to Instagram and give us a follow. It's both at The Coonhound Collective. Also, if you would like to reach us here at The Coonhound Collective, you can reach us at thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. If there's someone that you would like to hear on the podcast or a product that you would like to hear talked about, please send it to thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. Thanks again. Have a great day.